Welcome to Mary Liar Talks, a podcast that discusses mental health and spiritual well-being. Before we jump in, there may be episodes that are particularly sensitive for some listeners. And if that applies, then I hope you'll be able to join me whenever you feel ready and able. Today's episode is on grief, but the focus is about going through a significant loss and not being able to openly grieve because of the feeling of shame. So to help me explore this, I'm with guest Professor Dale Larson. Professor Larson is Professor of Counselling Psychology at Santa Clara University in Silicon Valley. He's also an award-winning author, a national expert on grief, burnout and resilience. We started talking about why someone may feel shame or even guilt when going for a bereavement and what the difference is between the two. Let's join in the conversation. Um, typically what comes under that bracket of shameful grief because there's probably different types of loss what comes under that bracket well actually quite a bit and it's important to understand why that's the case but before that let me share a few examples of this we feel shame with regard to grief most often when our grief is disenfranchised when society doesn't really recognize this as a valid grief, if you will, pet loss, non-traditional relationships and partnerships, uh, situations where we say, oh, you don't really deserve to grieve in some way. It, it's not a big thing, yet it is very often a big thing. Stigmatized losses are also very often resulting in shameful grief. Remember, grief is itself not shameful. It just is sometimes accompanied by shame or in, in the person who's experiencing that grief and loss because of some of the things that I'm talking about. When it's stigmatized, if you have a loss through suicide, say your child has died through suicide, uh, homicide, moral injury in wartime, these are things that are very often stigmatized. And the grieving person feels no one's going to really accept my grief so it becomes hidden and and shame results. Uh, There can also be shame in everyday kind of grief for not having loved enough or not, you know, being there when someone has died at their bedside. Um, You can have grief at being abandoned. You can have grief in which you feel shame about your shame. I'm I'm feeling shamed Mm -hmm. and now I feel shame about the shame. It's so difficult to touch shame without increasing shame in others and in ourselves. So uh, th- those are some of the, the real examples that stand out for me where grief be- can become shameful. I mean, we've mentioned shame um, quite a few times in this conversation already. So in the first place, what is shame and how come we, we people can experience shame in the first place? You know, great questions because shame is so often hidden and we don't even recognize it. It's something mm-hmm. we can't really touch. Basically, shame is a self-conscious emotion. Uh, it, it can be contrasted with guilt. Shame is an experience of I'm bad. And guilt is an experience of I did something bad. Right. So okay. they're quite different. Yeah. They're both self-conscious emotions but shame is different. And shame is what keeps things hidden. So now to understand though, why we have shame, we really have to go back, I think, you know, as individuals to our infancy and 
also for us as a species back to the ancestral planes we walked a long time ago. Because it's human nature that when we have distress, we seek support. We want to disclose it or we need to disclose this pain. Think of the infant who's experiencing distress. It starts making sounds. We Parents have all heard these. Uh, I, I want attention. And when the attention isn't there, we know from developmental psychology and clinical work, um, it results in problems for the child. The child feels abandoned, but the child feels shame. Mm. The, and if you think about it this way, shame results when there's an impediment to interest. Now, what does that mean? It means that we are seeking interest from others. In fact, it's the heart of attachment theory. We want two things. We want our loved one or intimate other or parental figure to show interest in us, to appreciate us, to value us, to look at us, to be with us. When we don't have that, shame can result. And we also want our loved one, our caregiver, uh, intimate others to be there for us when we need support. So the grieving person, the bereaved person, the person who's experienced trauma, grief, and loss is hurting. And it's natural to want to express that, to communicate that, to seek the support of others. But when we have a stigmatized condition or situation, when we have disenfranchisement of our loss, it blocks that experience. So we have an impediment to interest and support, which results in shame. Shame is so often just hidden and we see the anger that results. So many people who have anger issues are really dealing with shame issues, but they're never recognized as such. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. Mm. It's really also, you know, we'll talk a little bit later maybe about the, the upside of shame. I was thinking that there may be factors, um, it could be cultural or societal norms that can impact whether someone perceives their grief to be shameful and how they handle it. So for example, like if the thought that came to my mind was how in some society, they see it as, um, you know, um, a dog is man's best friend. And then in other cultures, it could be that the dog is simply there as a guard dog for the house. You know, so when the person loses that, um, the dog, in one society, that's their best friend, you know, and in another, they just replace it because the dog was there for a role. So, and that's just an example to give the context. So can there be factors, for example, cultural or just what seem to be normal in society that can impact whether someone perceives their grief to be shameful and then therefore how they handle it? And if so, what have you noticed? Yeah, good question, because there really are cultural differences, societal issues involved here, very profound ones. You know, like you're saying, in different cultures, it, people relate to grief differently. And in Europe, you know, many in some countries, uh, the bereaved widow will be wearing black for a year, mm -hmm. and it's culturally accepted. Um, in the United States, in Silicon Valley, you get three days off work, and then you shouldn't be talking about it anymore mm -hmm. because we're moving on and we have to recover quickly. And mm -hmm. we're not going to allow is. people to have a year in yeah. which we recognize their grief. But really profoundly in the United States, for example, and I'm sure this is true in London and around around the world where people have been reading Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who I was at the University of Chicago with Elizabeth, but I was an undergraduate working my way through the University of Chicago. And 
in medical records and I would walk by her seminars and I, Elizabeth contributed so much to our field, but the five stage theory is not something that we should adhere to in our thinking, although we're cognitive misers and it makes kind of intuitive, intuitive sense, but it's not good in terms of understanding how people grieve. People do not grieve in stages. That's really Stage theory has been shown over and over again uh, to not hold up empirically and clinically as well. We don't go through denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. Mm -hmm. It's more of a zigzag process through loss and restoration and moving through our grief experience that way, personal pathways through grief. Uh, and it's a, but the problem is when society expects us to move along. Well, mm -hmm. are you in the acceptance stage or are you in yeah. now? Are you in the anger stage? Mm -hmm. Where are you at? It, it's prescriptive, prescriptive. And it really says you should be in this experience right now. And that's not how it is. So then the bereaved person feels I'm not doing it right. Mm. I should be moving along or I should be in a different stage. And we really need to meet people where they're at. And we need to accept that in ourselves. Grief has its own timetable. And to, sure. un, to discover that is part of the grieving process. Griefing is a natural healing process. The loss is the wound. The grief is the healing. I mean, thanks for even highlighting about the, you know, those stages that seem to be widely accepted and just bringing out the point that actually it's 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 personalized um, approach um, that that's important. That's my that's my learning for today. <laughs> so um, when grief is is shameful, how can you grieve when others don't even recognize your loss or are even aware of your loss? So how can you how can you grieve? Well, it, it's also important, you know, in our terminology to say it's not shameful grief per se, it's shame mm -hmm. grief. Or shame I, grief. I don't find the right words for this mm -hmm. really, but it's when people become shamed or feel shame mm -hmm. when they're they're bereaved. But yet we're all already talking about the situations where gr shameful grief or shame grief or grief with shame is more likely to occur. So how can you grieve? You know, back to the, our ancestral plane, we need to find a way to communicate about our grief with a confidant, mm -hmm. someone who can understand this, whether it's in a support group or some a friend who's had a similar experience um, or a counselor. If you're really struggling with your grief and you feel like I really need to talk about this at a level that I can't with others. And maybe we'll talk about some of the reasons others can't really understand it. One of the reasons is the shame experience, because we don't know how to talk about shame in everyday life. How many times have you ever said to a friend, are you feeling shame about this? We would never say that because you're shaming shame <laughs> if they are feeling shame. And, and often shame is not even recognized. But we need to, I think at the heart of it is to communicate. We need that connection. Um, you know, we, we see connection, but fear rejection is at the heart of this. And when we anticipate or experience rejection as in stigmatized losses, I can't talk about my pet loss. Nobody thinks it's that serious an experience. Mm -hmm. But I've had clients who have been in pretty deep, complicated grief over the loss of a pet. Um, it's most significant being in their existence mm. in their lives at this moment. So uh, it's it's very important to realize communicating. And then you have this holding environment, as we say in psychotherapy, where we can 
talk about these places inside where we feel most alone. People so often feel this, what I experience or talk about as the fallacy of uniqueness, the belief that I alone am having this experience. That's why a support group can be so helpful. Other people who are having the same experience, you have mm -hmm. instant empathy and, and you recognize that, oh, wait a minute, it's not me. It's mm -hmm. really the experience I'm in. Other people feel this way too, which we will never know unless we uh, are talking to others who've had similar experiences. So like the important thing really is about communicating and finding the right group or person that the person can share with. Yeah. A trusted confidant yeah. who you feel yeah. I can really share all of myself with. And this is so important in life in general. You know, the key to happiness is close relationships that are very healthy. Mm. And um, it's certainly the key to coping with grief and loss and trauma. And I think this this is kind of like linked to the that question, but how can someone face and unburden themselves from their grief? So um, you've shared a bit about unburdening, maybe by, you know, sharing with that trusted, confident, but how can the person even face up to um, that secret and unburden themselves from it? Well, what we know from research is that suppressing difficult experiences is not helpful. Uh, there mm. was a series of great studies by Dan Wegner at Harvard with called the White Bear Studies. Uh, okay. And uh, they, they would ask people to not think about a white bear and the person would try not to think about the white bear, but then the white bear would appear in their <laughs> mind immediately. Yeah. When we suppress things, there's what we call an ironic rebound effect. In other words, you try to repress it and then it comes up again and then it comes up again. So repression suppre or suppression formally, we call it suppression doesn't work. Mm. Um, it just causes more problems. So we have to experience our experience, confront it, and then things can begin to open up. And through journaling, through communicating to an empathic other, um, to find a way to kind of reappraise this situation, this experience is much better in terms of promoting positive outcomes and not getting stuck in grief. The challenge is to get grief working. Grief is a natural healing process, but it can get can be stuck. So we need to find ways to get grief working for us. And that's, that's the real challenge. And it is scary to confront these experiences, to confront loss, it's part of the human experience and not an easy one to, to look at, to experience, to, to find your way through. So, um, so Dale, you mentioned um, earlier about the upside of shameful grief. The fact that secrets are often not disclosed because they are associated with distress and negativity. Um, so how can secrets help us to heal? Well, they're really, when we explore them, when we have that awareness, oh, this is what I'm keeping secret. I mean, there are some secrets that we possess, or other secrets that possess us. And the ones that possess us are the real problem. And if we're ruminating, in addition to suppression, we know that ruminating about especially grief and about other troubling inner experiences uh, is not good for us, correlates with depression, correlates with more complicated grief. So we need to find a way to explore those inner experiences and to understand them. And are there any other, mm -hmm. let's just say, healthy versus unhealthy ways to deal with secrets? Are there any others that's worth highlighting? Well, what we know from the research already is, you know, journaling works 
and has makes a real difference with regard to traumatic experiences. Jamie Pennebaker's work uh, is profound. And we know from our work in therapy that having clients write about their experiences and writing a letter to the bereaved or doing chair work where we might have the shamed bereaved person or the person experiencing shame talking to their loved one who they feel they didn't do enough for mm -hmm. them and then often taking the chair of the of the other the person they've they've lost who they feel shame with relationship to and and have that voice give given some airtime and that can be very profound because so often i found when you take the other chair and say your father you feel like you didn't do enough you feel a lot of shame you weren't there for him he says oh come on now you know i have loved you i'll never stop loving you um i would never ever judge you for that um, i know you love me that kind of thing that can be really life-changing um so therapies you know, that's a more intense experience but we can we can kind of do that in our own minds sometimes so i think it's it's getting perspective it, it's it's you know it's an invitation shame is an invitation to getting more interest actually it's saying really saying help me like guilt is saying to us uh i need to change something to improve this relationship we don't want to get rid of guilt and shame has an upside too because if we listen to it we, we can say, oh, so I'm really frustrated that I'm not getting the love I need. I can get stuck in that. Or I can say, what can I do to open myself to more love? What can I do to ask for more of what I need? What can I do to not feel shame mm -hmm. um, over not getting my needs met? So that's what most people don't get is that we have shame when we are frustrated in our movement towards something we desire. It's say with your career, you're moving along and, and you have something that's not going well. You start to feel shame. I'm not good. Yeah. There's something wrong with me. I must not be good enough instead yeah. of seeing it as, oh, I need to do more here. See, and often converting shame to guilt is not a bad idea. <laughs> so then you're just changing your behavior. You're not saying mm -hmm. I'm bad. You're saying I need to do some Something things a little different. bit differently yeah. uh, to accomplish my goals. I mean, there may be someone who's mm -hmm. listening to this that's actually suffering with grief in silence. And is there anything, um, Daryl, that you, anything else mm -hmm. that you would like to share? Maybe we haven't covered it or you'd really want to highlight it because it's so key that you'd want to share with them directly. Well, I think, yeah, the, the, key thing is to know that you're not alone mm -hmm. to see is common humanity i know that sounds like it's easy to say and kind of cavalier in a way oh everybody has this it's not that at all it's not to trivialize your loss in any way it's profound it's life-changing um but to to accept yourself to accept your experience to realize this is a natural response to loss. It's built into us. Grief is a natural process. Nature's way of healing the broken heart. And it is something we have to listen to in ourselves. And then when we do that, we realize I'm kind of zigzagging my way through this from loss to restoration, back and forth. Mm -hmm. um, we appreciate the process. And when we see something that, oh, yeah, that's a new goal I have, or a new perception of things, a new appraisal, or something else that I can move forward with. Follow that up. Listen to yourself. Listen for the signs of growth. Listen for the, the things that could heal you. 
and take advantage of them. Self-care, build your relationships with others, find a confidant. Um, and it's sometimes so hard with a really tragic loss, and there are so many of them that are so difficult to navigate. The loss of a child, and it could go on and on, traumatic kinds of losses, which really require a lot of attention, um, and a lot of acceptance on our part, and I think a lot of communication to others who are accepting of that experience. So trust your experience and, and find a way to share it with someone who is going to be able to listen, is going to be able to be there with you in the place where you feel most alone. I think that's the key to healing uh, in these difficult moments. Thank you, um, Dale. That sounds like wise and sound advice. Thank you once again, Dale, for joining me on Mary Lyer Talks. Thank you. Here's a spiritual wellness tip. Meditate on Romans chapter 8 verse 1 and 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 and they read So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you for listening. Do follow and join me again next time on Mary Lyre Talks Beyond the Smile.